Welcome to the Natural Curiosity Project. I'm Steve Shepard. Thank you for spending a few minutes with me. You know, I've always been curious. I don't know why, I just know that I am. I'm a writer and a teacher and a storyteller, and my job is to be curious, to ask questions and to share the answers. This program explores my belief that why, that simple three-letter question, is the most powerful question that any human has ever asked. Every time we ask it, we challenge ignorance and the status quo. This, I believe. Curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. Something that, let's face it, seems to be in short supply these days. So thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoy the program. Hi, Steve here. Thank you for dropping by. As most of you know, I've spent my career trying to make sense of the somewhat endless progression of emerging technologies. I know them. I know how they work because I have to, but I'm not a technologist. I'm not mesmerized by technology. What I care about is the human impact of it when it arrives and becomes embedded in society. Now, every once in a while, I talk about one of these technologies on this podcast because some critical mass of people asked me to do so. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about something called the Internet of Things, or IoT. This isn't going to be technical. I think you'll find it really interesting. So let's start with the basics, which is the thing in the Internet of Things. The thing is the data generator. It's a sensor, and it's actually a pretty dumb device. All it is, is a simple thing with a tiny bit of memory in it, and it has the ability to respond to some kind of a change in its environment. And when it responds, all it does is spew out whatever little tiny bit of data is stored inside of its memory. The data is indicative of a change that occurred in the environment. So let's look at an example. Imagine that you're a farmer, and you're using IoT to help you manage the infrastructure that helps you farm more effectively. Let's say, for example, that you have a network of pipes that run all over your farm and they deliver water to all of your various crops. Now, along the way, there are remotely controlled valves that allow you to reconfigure the flow as required. So right now, the network might be set up to deliver water to the circular irrigators over in the garbanzo beans field. But this afternoon at 2 o'clock, you're going to redirect the water to the lettuce fields by opening and closing certain valves. Now, each valve has two IoT sensors on it, one on the ingress side of the valve, the other on the egress side of the valve. The system monitors the output of these sensors. In the case of the water delivery network of pipes, if everything is working properly, the pressure values on both sides of each valve should be consistent. And what I mean by that is that if a valve is open, the pressure on both sides should be the same. But if the valve is closed, the ingress side should register pressure and the egress side should register zero pressure because water isn't flowing. Make sense? The computer that receives the inputs from the sensors is programmed to understand this relationship. So if the valve is closed, but the egress sensor registers the presence of water pressure, something's wrong. And it notifies the system to have somebody come out and check the valve. It might be broken. It might be jammed open by a rock, whatever. My point is that the thing did precisely what it's designed to do. Spew data in the event that an unexpected change occurs in the environment that it's paid to monitor. 
So let's stick with that analogy for a minute. If it happens once, if we find a rock in the valve and remove it and everything goes back to working the way it's supposed to, terrific. But what if it doesn't? What if we get notified six times in a 24-hour period that there's something wrong with that valve? That might be an indication that the well is getting low because we're picking up sediment that we shouldn't be sucking into the pump. Of course, it could indicate many things. It might indicate that the valve itself is broken or starting to fail. Now, we'll get to that in just a minute. Now, here's another example, similar. A rancher puts an IoT sensor on a stock tank. You know, those great big swimming pool-looking things made out of galvanized steel where cattle drink, and they're often situated next to a windmill that pumps water out of the ground. The rancher knows that the tank gets too low for the cattle to reach the water about every 10 days or so. But the rancher also knows that there's a valve in the tank that works sort of like a toilet float. When the water drops below a certain point, it opens a valve and allows water to flow into the tank until it's full. Now, this is important because this is a big ranch and the tank is, let's say, 17 miles away from the rancher's home and a pain to get to. But the rancher also has an IoT sensor on that tank. If the water reaches the low level where the float is supposed to open the valve and fill the tank, but it doesn't, the IoT sensor sends a message to the rancher's mobile phone advising her that it might be a good idea to drive out and check the float system before the cattle get distressed. Now, those are just a couple of agriculture-related applications for IoT, but the variety of applications is practically endless. A very important point to keep in mind is that an IoT thing isn't always a specialized sensor that works on farms or ranches. It's any device that has the ability to respond to a change in its environment. For example, a mobile phone can be an IoT sensor because its location can be tracked. And it has an accelerometer in it that can tell if the phone is being used in landscape or in portrait mode. But there are lots of other applications. For example, we can use IoT to control building security because cameras and motion sensors and automated door locks are IoT devices. In a smart city, we can use IoT sensors to turn streetlights on and off depending on whether or not there are people in the area. We can use it to monitor water quality, look for the presence of pathogens in the city's sewer system, and watch for motion in places where there shouldn't be motion. Again, a form of security. Now, we can watch how people move when they leave an airport or train station or a bus depot, for example, by monitoring the movement of their mobile phones, not to track individuals, but to see where traffic congestion might occur because a lot of people are going in the same direction for whatever reason and then deal with it before it becomes a traffic issue. Or we can monitor the daily movement of an elderly person inside their home as part of a strategy to allow them to stay in their own home instead of a care facility, because we know people are healthier when they get the chance to do that. There are already products out there that work this way. There is a product called the Magic Carpet, for example. It learns the time that people get up and move from bedroom to bathroom, from living room to bathroom, from kitchen, etc., and they develop a sense of exactly how this person moves. And they monitor it, and they do nothing until the pattern changes. And when the pattern changes, that could be an indicator of a problem, and they notify whoever they are expected to notify. 
Anyway, you get the picture. Every time something changes that we care about, the IoT sensor that we've asked to monitor whatever that something is spews out a little squirt of data. But what happens next? Well, the data makes its way onto a network, usually wireless, but not necessarily, and the network then transports the data to a data center somewhere. At the data center, the data is combined with lots of other similar, or in some cases not similar, data, and that's when the magic happens. Data analysts unleash software tools that begin to analyze the data to spot trends and patterns and correlations. This is called big data, and it's about as close to Harry Potter's sorcery as you'll ever get. Why? Because big data analytics are sophisticated tools, and the way they work is that they find correlations where there shouldn't be correlations. It's the butterfly effect that Jeff Goldblum referred to in Jurassic Park. A butterfly flapping its wings in the Amazon kicks off a series of what appear to be unrelated events that make it rain in New York City five days later. This is sometimes called chaos theory or Mandelbrot theory. Now, unless you're practicing some advanced form of better life through chemistry, don't take this any further. Trying to understand this stuff is going to make your brain hurt. The best example, though, that I can give you is a study done by UPS many years ago. They wanted to do whatever they could to reduce their carbon footprint because from a sustainability point of view, they are a very environmentally responsible company. And they know that their carbon footprint is big because of the size of their global transportation fleet. So they instrumented everything. They put IoT sensors on vehicles, their drivers, all the various operating elements of their land and aviation-based vehicles, on packages, and throughout their handling depots. They then analyzed the data that the sensors produced, and what it told them was fascinating. No more left-hand turns. That's right. Only rarely will you ever see a UPS truck turn left. And the result? Millions of gallons of fuel saved every year, and the elimination of emissions equivalent to that produced by more than 20,000 passenger cars a year. Why? Well, that actually makes sense if you think about it. When you make a left-hand turn, you have to sit there and idle waiting for oncoming traffic. While you're waiting, the vehicle burns fuel. Times how many vehicles? I mean, UPS alone operates more than 100,000 of them. I would call that pretty darned environmentally responsible. And by the way, it also has a big impact on their insurance costs because they're not turning into traffic and therefore they radically reduce the number of accidents they have in a typical year. This is really important. So that brings us then to the last element of the IoT ecosystem. We took some monitored action and turned it into data. Then we took the data and we turned it into information. Now, thanks to analytics, we turn the information into insight, which we hand off to an executive decision maker somewhere in the company. And this is where the whole thing usually falls flat on its face, if it's going to fall flat on its face. Now that we have these insights, now that we understand what the data implies, what are we going to do about it? What actions are we going to take to make our user community's experience better? or to better position our company competitively, or to put ourselves into a place where we're more relevant, more visible, more flexible and responsive, and so on. Those are the elements of action and success that technology plays within this game. But if the executive fails to act, then all that data collection, transport, and analysis energy is wasted, not to mention the cost of deploying all that infrastructure that's required to generate and collect the data in the first place so that it can be analyzed. Once again, 
the ugly truth raises its head. Technology doesn't fail. But people do. If you'd like me to comment on some other technology that has caught your attention, let me know. I'll feature it on a future episode. And I'm going to end with what's called Putt's Law. It goes like this. Technology is dominated by two types of people. Those who understand what they do not manage and those who manage what they do not understand. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.